Good morning, church. It is a blessing to be together here today. We have a lot to be happy about. We have a lot to be happy about. It is good. It is good to be a child of God. And too often, we fall into a routine where we come in, we sit down, and we go through a routine. Now, I'm not saying we don't have moments where we connect and come back to center. But I do know that the weeks, they have a way of beating us down. Work has a way of beating us down. People have a way of beating us down. And so we feel a little defeated. But in this sermon series, the whole point of this sermon series, is that as it is in heaven, so it should be here. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying it's natural. But I am saying that heavenly people create heavenly places. What I am saying is that at times... We have the best of intentions, but our intentions don't make their way into actions. There's actually a psychological term for this. It's called called the intention-action gap. Intention-action-gap. And what this stands for in psychological terms is that you intend to start the beginning of the year losing weight. You're going to work out. You're going to eat healthy. You're going to surround yourself with a community of people and you're going to check in with them. Two weeks in, your intentions fall apart. Or you find yourself always intending to follow up with someone. You're going to have a conversation. You're you're going to chat with them about a conflict. You're going to chat with them about a disagreement. You're going to chat with them about something going on at work or whatever it might be. But you never actually get around to having that conversation. You intended to do it. You just never actually did it. You intended to start taking your finances seriously. I mean, it's getting more difficult to pay bills. You're looking out ahead of you and you're thinking, am I ever going to be able to retire? And you have the best of intentions. But then there is a disconnect between your intentions and your actions. There is a behavioral gap between what your mind intends to do and what your body actually does. The point of this sermon series is to remind us as a community of faith that we are a people that do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. That all the fruit of the Spirit, that final one, is self-control. For those of you who are church, you might remember in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus prays, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. God's will is perfectly done in heaven. And yet, we have to recognize that at times, 
it's not done here. And that is often because God will allow us to have a choice. And then there's this disconnect that he wants to partner with humanity. This is incredible. It's mind-blowing to me that God wants to partner with humanity. And that he will let things stay on the table because of your choice. That God's desire for you is to have a beautiful life. God's desire for you is to have a holy life. God's desire for you is to be a one woman or one man type of person. But that doesn't always play out, does it? God's desire for you is is to give money and save money, but that doesn't always work out, does it? God's desire for you is to use your skills, your abilities, your talents, your gifts, in strategic ways to bless the community of faith, to bless the people around you, but that doesn't always work out, does it? There is an intention-action gap. And in this sermon series, the desired outcome is that we would bridge the gap. That in this sermon series, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, that you would take more seriously the call to be a person of action. That talk is cheap. I love the proverb that Corey read for us just a second ago. The way I memorized it when I was younger was this. In all toil there is profit. In all toil there is profit. For instance, if my desire is to get to that door, and I take a step, am I closer to the door? Fantastic. In every toiling step that I take, there is gain to that. But mere talk tends only to poverty. You can talk all day long, but talk is cheap. Talk means little. You can have the best of intentions. Actually, I heard when I was younger that the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions. It's all over our language. It's it's spotted up in, in our culture, but... Over and over again, we find ourselves being more of a passive people than an action-centered people. So to kick off our conversation and and really drive home this first point, because what we're going to do in this sermon as we set up the sermon series is I want to begin with the end in mind. And so we're going to start with the end and then we're going to work from there. But to kick us off, I want you to identify what's next for you. What's your next season of life? What's that going to look like? What are you looking forward to? I I thought it would be fun for us to work through a few of these things. So uh, here's college. Some of you guys, the next thing for you is college. You're going off to college. You're taking a a trip, and and you're going to be visiting colleges because it's your senior year. You're going to finish up that senior year, and then you're heading off to college. Some of us, it's a wedding. I've been doing a lot of weddings this summer, this spring, more in the fall. That's the next season of life for you. It's a baby. Some of you are expecting a baby. Some of you are expecting another baby. Some of you, like Jen Figures, she's like expecting her seventh baby. Like there's just, there was always, always more babies down the pipeline. A new job, a new school. Carl and Audrey, this is, this is their, their last Sunday here. Or at least for Audrey. Audrey's moving down to Florida. And so like that's a transition for them. Empty nest. Some of you guys have reached the promised land. Let's just, as, as a community, let's just pause for a second for those people who have arrived at that destination. It is a little slice of heaven, that empty nest. Or retirement. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Woo! Woo! Jim Ward. Jim Ward has been bragging, 
bragging, bragging, bragging forever, it seems like, about his retirement. And now they're getting ready to make a transition, move down to the, probably the closest thing to heaven in the Carolinas and, and enjoy that next season of life. The problem is, for all of us, is that if we do not prepare in action form for what's next, we will not be prepared for what's next. The truth is, these things are coming, or their season is coming, regardless of whether you take action for them or not. But if you want to be prepared for what's next in your life, this is believer or unbeliever, you need to take some action steps. So before we actually dive into the lesson, the the text for the day, I thought it would be good for us to identify some truths when it comes to this topic of conversation. And the very first one is, I mean, it's just obvious, but stick with me here. It is this, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. You can't leave you. When you check out of that relationship, you take you with you, and you take your baggage with you. Some of us, we spent years looking for someone who would work out for us in a relationship. And it always baffled us that it didn't seem to work out. Maybe it's because... They had their issues, but wherever you went, you took your issues with you. Your money issues, they're going to follow you into retirement. They will, because you take you with you. So unless you change, you become the issue. Second truth is this. There's no necessary correlation with knowing what's next and being prepared for what's next. A great example of this is uh, last weekend I did a wedding. And as I said, I've done quite a few weddings this year. I'll do a few more in the fall. When you stand before a great congregation and, and you're standing there and you offer up your vows, you know what's coming next. What's next is you're going to be a married couple. But I can tell you right now, that dude has no, no clue. I mean, he, he is not prepared for what's next. He might think that he knows, but he really has no idea. Knowing what's next does not mean you are prepared for what's next. You might look forward to retirement, but are you, are you really prepared for it? You might look forward to that relationship, but are you really prepared? prepared for it you might look forward to making that transition in life but have you taken the action steps to actually be prepared for it and in a letter to a community of faith the brother of Jesus named James talks about being blessed in what you will do because of an action step and that's where I want to turn our attention to today James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. James, writing to this community of faith, says the following. 
Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. The word being the truth and proclamation of God. Do not merely listen to it and deceive yourselves. There is no credit for just coming to church and hearing the lesson. There's a, there's a lot of research that's being done right now uh, within American faith communities. And that there is a marker that Americans have felt good about themselves because they come in. They feel convicted about a lesson. And then they walk away. And so the routine is, I come in, I get hit in the feels because the preacher, the speaker, the teacher, whatever you want to refer to him has, he, he gave a lesson, and he was re- really persuasive, and it cut me to the heart. But James says, if you just hear the word and do nothing else, you're deceiving yourselves. You're being deluded. He goes on, he says this, do what it says, be a person of action. And then he gives possibly my favorite illustration and example throughout the New Testament. Verse 23, he says the following, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in a mirror at his face and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This is, this is priceless. So here's the picture that James is trying to paint. You wake up in the morning. And what do you do? You go to the mirror. And you look at, at the man in the mirror. <clears throat> or the woman in the mirror. Oh, I look rough. All right, time to go to work. And then you just go. You just go and do your thing. You look at your face. Your hair's all messed up. Your beard's all messed up. You got bags underneath your eyes. You got that 5 o'clock shadow going on. And you know that your boss isn't a really big fan of that. But you don't do anything about it. Here's something that all of us need to catch. A mirror requires a response. A mirror requires a response. It just does. When you look in a mirror, it requires for you to take action from what you see. And what's fun is I could tell you, every single one of you, how long you stand in front of a mirror every single day. I know. Here's how long. You stand there until it gets better. Some of you were late to church today because you looked in the first mirror and then in your apartment or house, you have like the last ditch, hey, this is the safety net before I leave the house and look like a full mirror and you caught something and you're like, oh, no, 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 I can't go out like that. And so you went back to fix what had to be fixed before you went out in public. Here's the reality. No one gets credit for just looking in a mirror. If you walked into your place of business and you looked like a slob, your boss wouldn't let you go in front of customers. He wouldn't let you go in front of clientele, in front of the consumer. If you're a teacher, 
there is a certain look, a professional look, that you have to take on. And if you do not have that professional look, you will soon have a professional conversation with the principal. Because a mirror requires a response, and you are, will stand in front of a mirror as long as it takes to get ready. Verse 25, he moves on. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, just for a second, I want to stay here. Because here's, here's what James is laying out before us. He says, you have to be a person of action. You have to be a person that takes action steps. And the way that really kicks off is, is you, you take the word of God, the calling of God, and you look intently into it. The, the, the literal Greek in this is that you peer into it. You lean into it. It's used in Luke and John to reference to what the apostles did when they looked, they peered into, they leaned into the tomb just to make sure no one was there. No body was found. It's a long gaze. It's not just a passing glance. This is a nod to us being a people who spend time in the Word of God. Because what happens when we peer into the Word of God is that the Word of God, like a mirror, calls for us to give a response. And when we're not in the Word of God, sometimes we overlook the conflict in our life and we don't have follow-up conversations. Sometimes in our life, we are pricked to the heart that we need to do something. And the perfect law which gives freedom invites us to take a step. It gives us a mirror to see who we truly are and a window into the possibilities of who God is inviting us to be. I love that James includes that this thing offers freedom because often, uh, especially with the terminology that he uses because it, it's like a paradox, what law offers freedom? I mean, law provides restrictions and rules and regulations. That's what the Old Testament law did, is its rules and regulations. These are the things that you have to abide in. But the perfect law, the law of liberty, it brings freedom to those who lean into it, who love it, who peer into it. And I know exactly what James is trying to get at. What he's trying to get at is that when you lean into God's truth, it will provide freedom into your life. When you live God's way, it offers you greater freedom down the line. So let's, let's stick with the financial conversation. The United States will say for you to get into debt and for you to take out that plastic and run it. And it feels like freedom because you're able to buy whatever you want for about a month and then the bill comes in or 12 months or 18 months and then the bill comes in and the Proverbs writer says that the debtor is slave 
to the lender, there's, there's no freedom there. Every month you have a mortgage payment that comes in and reminds you that's not your house. You might think that's your house, but you stop making payments, the bank will come and repossess your house. You know why? Because it's not your house. And so, and so God invites us into this life that says, you know, you have no debts. I love the way uh, Seth Johnson, we did a financial piece university, and he says, I, I'm like a peacock, baby. I got to be free. I was like, that's such a beautiful picture. Seth would be a peacock. Being able to flap your wings and be truly free. People that resisted the law of freedom, the law, the perfect law, leaned into what they thought was freedom. And so they, they started exploring with sexuality early and relationships outside of the confines of marriage. And I can't tell you how many guys or, or girls that I've talked to where they're just like, I got two or three baby mamas or baby daddies, and I don't feel free. It's complicated. It's messy. And James says, man, if, you would, if at that time you would have leaned, leaned into this perfect law, there would have been more freedom for you. And to the degree that you lean into and you peer into the word of God, it will provide freedom for you. It will lift you up out of the shackles. Now, I would like to say that, that I don't know where I would be if I didn't have this congregation to encourage me to lean into a perfect law. But I do know where I'd be. I do know where I'd be. I would be in chains. I would, be, I would not have the amount of joy that I have today if I didn't have a congregation like this one encouraging me as a young man to take seriously the word of God and not just to listen to it, but to do something about it. To be a person of action. Because God has called us to be people of action. Here's an old VBS song. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Oh, the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. Splat, come on. <laughs> Stood firm. <laughs> Jesus offers this great story of two guys. One's a fool and one's wise. One builds his house on the sand, the other builds his house on a rock. The one who builds his house on the sand, the house pff, falls. The one who builds his house on the rock stands firm. And Jesus offers, listen to this, Jesus offers all of us who those guys are. The foolish man is the one that hears the word of God, who comes to church week after week after week after week, and they listen to the word of God. They open up their Bibles and they hear the calling of God that you need to be a person of action. You need to be a person of grace. You need to be a person of forgiveness. You need to be a person of your word. You need to be a person that 
serves strategically. You need to be a person that evangelizes to the world and, and bless people around you. And they don't do that. And Jesus and James say, you get no credit for just hearing. It's like showing up to a test and not doing anything. The person who is blessed is the person who hears these words of mine. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, going on down. Who hears these words of mine and does them. So here's my question to you. What do you need to do? The whole point of this sermon series is for us to live intentionally and to be people of action. What do you need to do to be more consistent with what God has called you to do? A number of you grabbed bulletins on your way in. If you don't have a bulletin, that's fine. This is incredible. Because you probably have one of these. This is a smartphone. And you can type all kinds of notes out there. Now, some of you guys, you don't use a smartphone because you believe it's the government's way of tracking you. So I get it. That's fine. That's cool. Use your piece of paper and your bulletin. Right, right in the, the side of your Bible. But you need to identify what God is calling out of you. And what you've been pushing off and you've had the best of intentions to do. But because of your emotions, because of your insecurities, because of whatever, you just haven't done anything about it and I'm here to, to tell you today there is only pain when you don't do anything about it there's only heartache there's not freedom for you there's not blessing for you you get the worst of both worlds you get the chains and you don't get the blessing but when you start living into God's calling and invitation for you there is blessing there is promise there is freedom but it's all wrapped up in your doing. And not a single one of us will be able to follow you around and check in on you and make sure you're doing what God is calling out of you to do. So let me try to flesh this out for us. And this might not hit you specifically, but I want to give a couple examples so, examples so that way we can put some flesh on it. Maybe for you, the thing that you need to do is you need to stop kicking against the goats and you need to be baptized into Christ. You've been waiting and waiting for your, you to figure out your life and, and to be more holy. Getting holy before baptized, is, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. In scripture. It, 
you, you get baptized because you want to take on holiness. And so for some of you, it is to make that decision today and say, you know what, I am going to surrender my life to the goodwill of the Father. Because he is a good, good Father. So for, for some of us, it is taking our finances seriously. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's talk. In this area, maybe not in other aspects of the country, but in this area, poverty abounds. And sometimes it's not because we don't have money. It's because we misspend money. We buy all these toys, but we have nothing planned for retirement. And you can't think to yourself that God wants you to live that way. You can't prove to me in Scripture. You can't do it. Because the debtor is slave to the lender. For some of us, it's, it's been so tight that we have not really given to, and I'm not even talking about here, but we haven't really given to a charitable work consistently for a while. Because we feel strapped. Because at some point, we were sold a bill of goods that we thought was going to bring us freedom and joy but it didn't. It brought us heartache. For some of us in here, what we need to do is we need to go home. We need to open up our phone. We need to find his number or her number. We need to call them and say, hey, you know what? It's over. We're done. I'm not going to continue to live this life of sexual pleasure outside of marriage. And you've been feeling that way for a while. But today is the day that you need to actually do something about it. It's not, it's not blessing your life. It's adding more drama to your life. For some of you, what you need to do, you need to set your alarm on your phone And let it ring like an hour earlier on Sundays. And you need to start showing up to Bible class. Come on, nobody else is going to amen that. Come on. Some of you guys, you've been belly aching that no one else is showing up to Bible class and you're not going to amen me when I bring something up like that. Come on, church. But thank you, Joe. Because it could bless your life. Every Wednesday night, we have groups. And maybe for you, Wednesday night, I mean, I get it, work, you're doing your thing. But for some of us, Wednesday night could be a night where we connect, connect with community. And in that connection, we can talk about and open up the scriptures and ask questions from a text that we just heard preached. So, just a little bit of a you know, teaser. On Wednesday night, our groups will talk about James chapter 1, verse 22 through verse 24. Maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe you just don't even want to do that. For some of us, what we need to do 
We need to get R-B-I-B-L-E. We need to start setting aside some time. And just read. When was the last time that you sat down with God's word and just read? Not for a class, not to prove somebody at work wrong or to fight over doctrine, but to get to know the God that sent his son to die for you, that loves you more than you can even begin to fathom and comprehend. You know what some of you need to do? You've had a burden on your heart to reach out to a grandbaby or someone at work to invite them to follow Jesus or at least to explore Jesus and fear has held you back but God has not given you a spirit of fear but of love, power, and self-control. That, that person's eternity is lying out ahead of them. That, that person's freedom is lying out ahead of them. Do you really want to rob them of that? You know what some of us need to do? Some of us need to find freedom. We need to have a conversation today because our experience with Christianity hasn't been joyful. You're sitting there and it's, it, it's like, if you're happy and you know, clap your hands and you're like, it's not a theological thing. You know, some, some of you, maybe it is, but for some of you, it's like, I'm not happy and I know it. Why do you have such a hard heart? Maybe what you just need to do is is you just need to go to somebody that you know is going to be gentle and love you and, and say, I'm not happy. And I know it. And I have a problem with this person. And that person, and I've been harboring bitterness in my heart, and I know my God in heaven who's been merciful to me. Looks down and just shakes his head because I have not extended forgiveness the way I've been forgiven. What do you need to do? What do you need to do? We have a VBS coming up. Mmm, preach, David. It is time for some of you to stop sitting on the sidelines and get in to the game. Get into the game. And I'm not just talking about here. Like, yeah, we have VBS and there are classes and there are opportunities to serve with our little ones, the cute little baby. I mean, like, Jenna, would you stand up? You don't have to stop feeding. I was going to say, you can just do your thing. Turn around, show this little thing. And what you need to do is you need to take an action step because little ones like this, they might not know Jesus if 
someone like you doesn't start stepping up and teaching them about Jesus. We got little ones. Go ahead and sit down. Thank you, Jenna. We got little ones who are going to cry for months because Jenny Ward is leaving. Now, there are other of us who are going to celebrate because Jim's leaving, but... If you left, who would mourn? Who would mourn? There are, there are a number of kids that point to Jenny Ward as one of the building blocks and laying the foundation of Christ in their life. Just, just to be completely transparent, there was a foundation of Jesus Christ laid in my life because Jim Ward was here. And not just here as a bump on the log, But he engaged with me. He did something with it. What are you doing? What are you doing? The cause of Christ, it matters. And there are things that you need to start doing today, and you're holding yourself back. These, these, these tears are for you. These tears are for us. These tears are for our community that is waiting for a people to act redeemed. To let go of pornography, to let go of the sexual morality, to let go of the selfishness, to let go of the greed, to let go of the me-centered culture, to start leaning into service, to let go of the conflict, to let go of the bitterness, to start leaning into holiness, to look into the perfect law that offers freedom, and to be a people of action. What do you need to do today? Because today is the day. You need to identify it. Because if you don't identify it, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to have an intention to address somebody, to lean into service, to break up with him, to not use your credit card, to, oh, I'm going to cut my credit card up. And then nothing. But God did not give you a spirit of fear or weakness or bitterness. He gave you a spirit of love, power, and self-control. So take control of your life.